0: West Philadelphia, born and raised.
1: On the playground, Big Dipper spent most of his days.
0: Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school, and a couple of guys who were up to no good. Started
1: making trouble in the neighborhood.
0: He got in one little fight, and his mom got scared and said, you're going to KU with those damn pecker woods. <laughs> well, damn, all right, all right. We're getting into it. We're getting into it. This episode's about Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain.
1: Which uh, the stilt, he never liked. He never liked that nickname. No, he didn't. He never liked Goliath. He w- he was very self-conscious about his 7'1 height. Yes. And the name he always preferred, and he even called his mansion Ursa Major when he was out in Bel Air, mm-hmm. went from West Philadelphia to Bel Air, the Big Dipper, Will Chamberlain.
0: Dipper. <laughs> he actually got the name Dip because he was so tall. When yep. he was like 13, he had to dip in, in, down for... Uh, when he was walking through a door he had to dip in.
1: Yeah, they said he was 6'3" by the time he got out of elementary school, which is gargantuan.
0: Well, his mom said that he was 6'3", 13 and he still sucked his thumb. So it was like a weird he was like a man child. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, just absolutely insane. If but. you could
0: if you could think of seeing a taller than everybody else man essentially sucking his thumb just like hanging out, that's that's what you would see Wilt Wilt Chamberlain at 13. It's like Roger and American Dad. I'm the baby. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) But no, uh, Wilt Wilt Chamberlain, uh, born August 21st, 1936 in West Philadelphia. Born and raised. Born and raised, yeah. Take that, Will Smith.
0: And uh, dominated high school basketball.
1: How could he not? He's like 6'10 already.
0: Well, that's the thing. He was... I think people say this, he was the first big man that was really athletic, really yeah. able to
1: move. Yeah, like you had guys in the NBA previously, like George Mikan and stuff, who were just kind of like big trees. Yeah, they, they would call them goons.
0: Yeah, goons. They yeah. just wouldn't move. They wouldn't do these things that, I mean, will change the game. Yeah, he did. They changed the rules for him. Yes. Yeah. The foul shot rule, I thought, was the most interesting because they were like, he could dunk from there because technically you could jump from the foul line back then and yeah. dunk technically. Um, so they said that a player has to release the ball from the, the foul free
1: line. Line. Yeah. Free throw line. How cool would it be, though, if Dr. J got to do free throws from the foul line that and just been- take off, like take off from half court and just be like, one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one. I'm doing that again <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, it's great. Uh, All right. So he dominated in high school and then he got um, accepted to Kansas University. Yeah. Funny story about his um, recruiting. Um, He wanted to get away from Philadelphia.
1: I mean, he was very tight with his family, but he kind of needed felt the need to get out of there. And people were even saying he could go to the NBA then granted there were rules that prevented it. But, well,
0: hold on. Let me let me bring this up because I thought this was extremely interesting. He actually got signed out of high school. There was a rule,
1: yeah, by the Philadelphia Warriors team that you yeah. could sign
0: a guy out of high school, but then they had to go and play four years of whatever. Yeah, it's so we'll like get a into futures that. Futures contract. Yeah, it's yeah. a futures contract. They're, they're not so
1: Larry a, Bird ended up on the Celtics. Yes. They kind of had that where he had to wait a year. He was already with the Celtics, but he was playing at Indiana State. Yes. Yeah,
0: it, it's an interesting rule.
1: But yeah, like I was saying, he wanted to get out of Philadelphia, but he didn't want to go like that far. So like UCLA and the West Coast schools were kind of out. Didn't want to go to the South, obviously, because this is the mid fifties and segregation, Jim Crow, segregation, yeah. and all that stuff. So. And
0: well, that was the thing: is every single college wanted him.
1: Yeah, he, he had like a hundred and twenty. Yeah, scholarship offers. Yes, and he ends up at the University of Kansas uh, under legendary coach Vogel Allen for the first year. And at that time, though, freshmen were not allowed to play. Which is crazy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's all you see now is freshmen. I know. Like, But, yeah, and he's just dominating on the scout team, and the coaches are salivating over the fact that he's going to be this tremendous force
0: for Kansas. So this next year, the first year that he actually gets to play, um, they make it to the what will become the NCAA championship?
1: Yeah, they're playing in the NCAA championship. It's actually one of the best NCAA championships ever played. They're Triple overtime, North Carolina. Yep, and Wilt has an amazing game. I mean, he's dominating. But everyone thought he they couldn't lose. Kansas's then coach at the time had said, "We could put Wilt with two cheerleaders and two of his frat bros, and we'd win a national championship." And yep. likely they would have a chance. Unfortunately, they were upset. By North Carolina.
0: Well, the power forward for Kansas was a great shooter. This is what I heard. And he had a, one of his worst shooting nights. Like, I think he went like two for 12. Yeah. And it's one of those things where Wilt's getting the boards and kicking it out or getting double team and kicking it out, and he's just missing. And that's really, if you go through, because I watched some of the highlights, he really misses some like straight up game winning shots.
1: Yeah. And it was kind of, he's always said that that was the loss that hurt him the most. And it was kind of the beginning of the narrative of Wilt Chamberlain, statistical anomaly domination guy, can't lead a team.
0: He's out for himself.
1: He's out out and in it for himself, which is completely untrue. It's just the label he's stuck with. I almost relate it to uh, Peyton Manning when he was in Tennessee. Like Peyton Manning, dominant player, um, dominant in the NFL. But a lot of times when the chips were on the table, it just never happened for him. Yeah. I mean, you look at Manning the year after he left Tennessee. They won the national championship. Yeah, it's it's
0: pretty interesting. So they, uh, they lose this national championship game, and then the next year, teams start triple teaming him. Yeah. And it's such a thing where he debates quitting basketball. He does,
1: yeah. He's sick of it. And what he ends up doing by the end of that year, where they don't end up winning again.
0: Well, they don't even get into the tournament. Yeah, Yeah.
1: they're playing in the old Big Eight. And like even though they had five losses, I think the tournament was only like 32 teams at most then. Um, They don't get in. And he says, I'm not coming back for my senior year, but I still have another year left before I can play in the NBA. So what does Wilt do? He goes to –
0: God, it's hard to – classify these this team. He goes yeah. to the Harlem Globetrotters. Exactly. Which, one of my favorite jokes is going to a Globetrotter game and rooting for the generals. Oh, dude. And just being like, <laughs> do you know? see this ref do you, do you remember
1: that simpsons episode where Krusty has the gambling addiction yes. and he's in debt he's like you bet on the heart you bet on the washington generals oh i thought the generals were due
0: it's such a great <laughs> joke that it, there's like many a shows that because it's such a great one yeah it's
1: it, like the whole premise is, is like they're hapless and the globetrotters are like, he's spinning the ball on his finger just take it just take it
0: it's great, but so he becomes a Harlem Globetrotter and he plays basketball for fun. So yeah. I feel like in this era where he's getting triple teamed, it stopped being fun. Yeah,
1: it's it, it's fun for him, and you know it rekindles his love and it's like okay, basketball is good again. But like it's only one year because it's like I want to. I'm a competitor. Yes. I want to play in games with rules. And you know, despite this being an awesome spectacle, this isn't like. Sustainable for what I want to accomplish.
0: They also offered him twice what any other basketball player was playing. So they offered him sixty thousand dollars for the year, and I think the top player was making like thirty.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, thirty thousand a year. It was Bob Cousy for the uh, Celtics. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because Mm -hmm. he came in the next year and he made what Bob Cousy was making, and people were like, "Whoa!" And then they saw that he—I mean, it was worth it, you know.
1: Yeah. Definitely no. He um, so he's with the Warriors, the Philadelphia Warriors, the because, following season. Yeah, and he's the first player to ever win NBA Rookie of the Year, but also the MVP. Yes, and completely goes out and starts dominating people. Dominating so much that
0: people are saying that nobody could guard him.
1: He was unguardable. I mean, yeah. they had to widen the the uh, paint, the yeah. lanes. They would,
0: reformed the game.
1: Yeah, they started enforcing offensive and defensive goaltending. Because, because he would will
0: just rip
1: the ball out of the air. Yeah. Just great. absolutely dominant player for that
0: era. Just crazy. But then he meets up, and I feel like this is the first big NBA rivals. Because mm-hmm. I feel like then he meets up with the Celtics. Yeah. Um, before that, though, okay, by '62
1: because it's that important. Wilt Chamberlain is the only player in NBA history to score 100 points in a game.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the hundo.
1: Yeah, we can get we can get into the hundo. Yeah, uh, March 2nd, 1962, because the NBA was kind of like like most professional sports leagues at the very beginning. The Philadelphia team, the Warriors at the time, they were like a regional team. Yes. He didn't do this at the spectrum where Dr. J and Chocolate Thunder Dawkins were doing everything. He scored a 100 points in a Hershey, Pennsylvania gym. Yeah. And
0: against the Knicks. And
1: how do you get a 100 points?
0: They were saying that because obviously they don't have like, it's not set up like it is now with all the stats up on the board. Yeah. You, you wouldn't know. They, people were like, man, he's scoring a lot of points. And then the announcer announces it, and everybody's eyes go huge. They're like, and Wilt Chamberlain, 82 points today, and everyone's like, whoa. And then that's when they kicked it in. They're like, this could happen. Yeah, and they were feeding him the ball. I think he had like 36 field
1: goals plus the free throws that he made. And mind you, this is before the three-point line was a thing.
0: Yes, before the ABA came in. So, I mean. I,
1: I just wanted to bring that up to show you that type of dominance and there's that iconic picture of him with the paper that has 100, 100 on it. Yeah. I mean, oh.
0: And it's one of those things where the Knicks were trying to stall the game. So this was, yeah. before, this the was shot clock. before the shot clock. So this was something that basketball, he essentially brought in the shot clock because teams would try and stall as hard as they could. They would do like 40 or 50 passes in a possession because yeah. they knew the, the, the smaller the score, the more chance they had to win. Because with Wilt, I mean, he could put in 100 points.
1: Yeah, you just keep feeding him the ball. And no, then, nobody could guard him. Yeah, exactly. He, um, so, like you said before, Philadelphia was a really good team when they had Wilt. The big issue is there's a team called the Boston Celtics, and they have a center named Bill Russell, who despite being a Hall of Famer and not as good as Wilt, really got in his head and was really the only guy who could get in his way.
0: (laughs) Well, something that I thought was really interesting because they were actually friends. Um, They would meet up before games and have dinner and shit like that. But something I thought was interesting was they said that Russell was just a master of psychology. So he would let Wilt score for about two and a half quarters and then shut him down. And his entire team would be cold because they would have like four shots between them.
1: Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have had to touch the ball. Yes. And Boston can go up and down with Kuzi and Avalchek and all those guys and Bill Russell. And they, of that era, the Celtics were the dominant team.
0: Yes. And
1: they had the one guy that could throw a wrench in any Will Chamberlain led team.
0: And, you know. Bill Russell is still one of the greatest defensive players ever, I think, because of that.
1: Oh, yeah. And you, you would have to be to stop Will.
0: Yeah, you have yeah. to.
1: You have to be physical with him. You have to try and match him. Like you gotta get in his head because you're not going to physically outdo him.
0: Yeah, he he was the physical specimen of the time. Nobody was seven one. Nobody was two seventy-five. You know, it's yeah. one of these things where he was just like they were saying, he was just like he would block out the sun. He
1: could, yeah. You know? like, I mean, nobody had nobody had seen that
0: before. Yes. Nobody had seen that before. And he was athletic. I think that's the thing that makes him the best big man of his era. Yeah. So from uh,
1: 60 to 65, he's in Philadelphia. Then he's in San Francisco after they moved to San Francisco, now Golden State Warriors, um, running into that Celtics train. And then by 65, he wanted to stay – or um, by 65, he's traded to the 76ers.
0: But he wanted to stay on the West Coast. Yeah, That's he what did. he wanted. But, yeah, they, he, they traded him back to Philly for the 76ers. And luckily, though, you know – because
1: he finally breaks through yeah finally breaks through in the 66 67 season and they finally stick it to boston make it to the finals against the san francisco warriors yep and they win he wins his first championship
0: and you you would think that would put to rest all the nonsense yeah. yeah but it doesn't i thought it was interesting when they beat boston they were celebrating like it was the championship yeah they brought champagne out and a couple of guys had to be like hey we still got another series. And because, it was
1: Wilt who said that to yeah, them. Yeah, because
0: that's what it meant beating Boston. Like it, They were such the powerhouse of that time. Oh, that, for sure. Yeah.
1: But, uh yeah, so he's with, with the 76ers after that, still running into Boston, yeah. still hitting that Bill Russell wall. And he wanted to stay there. He wanted to stay again with Philadelphia's new team, the 76ers. However— he runs into kind of a tiff with owner with ownership because part of him wanting to stay was they were going to give him a stake in the 76ers franchise. This
0: was interesting because I heard the ownership deny this and he said that they assured him.
1: Yeah. And when they didn't give him that stake in ownership. Yeah. He's like, trade me. Yes. Get me out of here.
0: Because he was expecting the magic Johnson deal, even though magic Johnson deal hadn't come around where they would give him like 5% of the, of the team because he was such a a mainstay and credit to wilt even after his basketball career
1: he was a very good businessman he was very good at keeping up with his finances and finding business deals and you know having a very large estate because of his financial savvy yes so he's traded to the now los angeles lakers in 1968 and that's kind of what everyone sees him as yes, as a Laker.
0: As a Laker. Well, and, his first year, let's get into the coach. Yeah. Butch Van Bredakoff. Yep. Um, was the coach and Butch hated him. Yeah. He like he said the first practice, he was absolutely amazed. He was moving, he was doing everything that you want. Second practice, he couldn't get him to move from his spot. And he was just like, screw this guy.
1: That's that's the thing when you have coaches like that who won't play to somebody with that gifted, talented, yes, you know, skill set is, I'm the coach. I should be able to do what I want, uh, even at the expense of the team and shitting on the guy. And it really, those two really butted heads over that.
0: Well, we see in the finals, it really was at the expense of the team. And it was because they're playing the Celtics again. Six minutes <laughs> left. He twists, uh, Wilt twists his knee. And comes out. And the coach punished him for it. Yes. He wouldn't even
1: let him back in. I was going
0: to say, it was like two minutes later, he says, hey, I'm ready to come back in. And the coach says, "No, we're doing better without you.
1: And they end up losing. Yeah. And Bill Russell had some very negative comments about Wilt. Well,
0: Bill Russell's comments, I felt like, were unjustified because of the coach not letting him back in. Mm -hmm. But what he said was that he just didn't have the heart pretty much he was he said he was a faker which i didn't necessarily agree with what happened but he just didn't have the toughness is what bill essentially was referencing and
1: even though he won a title it kept adding to that unfortunate narrative which is completely untrue yes and it it hurt him in a way because will psychologically from what i researched wasn't like russell like a win it all costs guy and this is an era of the nba especially if you're a big man where you got to have that dog mentality to, to kick the crap out of the guy you're, that you're facing, and Russell had that more than anybody of that era.
0: Well, Wilt was the gentle giant. He was. And, he really was. And people say that nobody got fouled harder than Wilt in the. You know, like you think of ba- of NBA in that era, they were absolutely hacking guys.
1: And that was the thing, though, is like he would lay off of guys because he didn't want to hurt them when he totally could have.
0: Absolutely. He was so much bigger than every other player. Like, even Bill Russell, he was still bigger than him, even though Russell really knew how to move his body and all that shit. But he he was just so much bigger than everybody else on the court.
1: Yeah, and it was really unfortunate because the Lakers of that era really hadn't broken through. And it was mainly because of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. But finally, by 1972 and then losing the year before, I believe, to the Knicks in that Willett, famous Willis-Reed game because yep. Wilt, Wilt didn't want to go out and hurt Willis-Reed.
0: I know. And that really was a psychological edge for the Knicks who ended up winning the title. It was interesting. They say Willis-Reed's four points was uh, more important than Wilt's 27. Yeah, I was just like, that is such a great like moment in sports where you could see Wilt just didn't want to... Because what Bill Russell said at that time, he was just like, I would have taken it to him Every exactly. single play and got him out of the game. Yep, and that's just not what the that's not the person that Wilt was.
1: No, it just wasn't. But uh, seventy two, the Lakers finally break through again. Yep, you know, finally getting Jerry West a title. Finally getting the Gale Goodrich. I mean, guys that really had not won before finally getting it for him
0: but we're really because they had a great team jerry west and you know
1: yeah yeah i mean elgin baylor was finally he's probably the best player ever to not win a title in the nba but you know guys that had come so close before and never broken through wilt was kind of that final piece for the lakers to finally do it and he was the finals mvp that year yeah like you can't deny that guy that Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our sports experience podcast is brought to you by
0: Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Something that I found interesting early in his career was he was averaging... 47 minutes, 48. So he would average full games. And he never fouled out of a game. Never. That was, <sighs> as the big man. So I can see that as like a point guard where you're yeah. not really, you know. But Especially in that era, too. Yeah, where fouls were just, people were just dishing fouls out.
1: Uh, what's his, famous sports writer Dick Shap had this great quote where he said, when I think of Wilt, I think of, uh, well, we'll get into the other, po- the last number that yes. he discussed. But he said, I think of 100 points and I think of never fouling out of a game Yep, and something else.
0: Well, I think it was uh, zero foul outs, 100 points, and then I think like uh, nine scoring titles. Yeah, it was nine just, scoring titles, yeah.
1: yeah. And, I mean, he was three-time MVP. He played 14 seasons in the league, made the All-Star team 13
0: times. I was kind of surprised he wasn't MVP more because of his yeah. rebounding and it, just his averages. So he, he averaged 50 points a game one season. Yeah, he, he averaged like 25 rebounds almost his entire career. Yeah, I mean, he led
1: the league in 14 years, 11 times led the league in rebounds. Yeah. I mean, come on. Just
0: come on. <laughs> Such a great... He, he made the that center what, what it is. Yeah, I mean, with him, he kind of...
1: Him and Russell kind of kicked off that era where the NBA, until really Jordan and Magic and Bird, was a center-dominated game. Oh, 100%. And... That was the position, and like we talked about in the ABA episode, they couldn't get the quality big man. No. And because of that, it kind of morphed the game in a different direction eventually. But like with Wilt, that was the cornerstone of every franchise. If you didn't have a center in the NBA, you weren't anything.
0: Yeah, Wilt definitely put the prototype for all NBA teams for the 60s and 70s of like, hey, we're going to feed it into the big guy. He's going to skyhook. And then that's it. And then with the ABA, with the three-point line, it opened the game up so much more. But I feel like it also opened the paint for these big guys.
1: Yeah, and like, you know, when when people talk about like transcendent players, like this guy could have played in any era. Yes. Even now, Will Chamberlain could play.
0: I thought it was interesting he... After he retired for years and years, he was like, I can still play in the NBA. And the Nets came in and were like, offered him this like three game contract. He yeah. didn't end up doing it, but it's one of these things where the Nets were like, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, he coached in the ABA right after retiring. He yeah. was a uh, San Diego Conquistadors.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they said that was a bit of a it publicity. It was a publicity. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, you got to draw people into the arena. Yes. I mean, we we had talked about how bad these teams were hemorrhaging money, but yes. yeah.
0: It, just he probably wasn't a great coach but man was he one of the, probably one of the best centers
1: oh yeah no i mean he made the top 50 team when uh, they had the 50 year anniversary for yeah. the nba so i mean Watch Wilt Chamberlain highlights and just watch him against these poor bastards, not named Bill Russell. Yes, and even against Bill Russell, he would kick ass. Yes, so. he
0: would still get twenty five points. Yeah, it was just like Bill would stop him from getting forty, or Bill could stop him in certain times and moments. Yeah, moments. like when the
1: when the chips were on the table, and that's what made the Celtics team so good is like they always found a way. Yeah. to win. Yeah, but uh yeah, that Wilt was a. uh Dominant force. Dominant force. Now we're going to get into, you know, what is... Yeah, so uh, you want to do the politics or you want to do the uh,
0: other thing? I want to do the politics, actually, because I found this to be interesting. We were talking about it a little before, how he was very ostracized by the black community at this time.
1: Yeah, and um, I was um, talking with Chris about this. The late 60s in America, black athletes were getting behind the civil rights movement a lot of them were really buying in um and jim brown's a good example kareem abdul jabbar i'm sure we're going to bring up after he had converted to islam after being lou alcinder and wilt chamberlain's friend for a while they were all kind of uniting against white society where they were being discriminated against yes but wilt's decision Kind of parallels. If you ever watch the 30 for 30 on OJ, it's very similar to OJ Simpson to where they said, no, you do your own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. I'm free thinking and respect what you're doing, but I'm going to do my own thing.
0: Well, it's one of these things where I never, I never talk shit on an athlete for being political for something that they do. Exactly. I, I just don't understand why people and people in communities talk shit on athletes for not, sharing their same views
1: yeah similar to michael jordan republicans buy sneakers too exactly if you want to if you want to support something else or you just want to mind your own damn business and make it your own private thing you should be able to do that as well and I feel that's like, what will did yeah
0: he was more into like you can be yourself and i'll be myself
1: yeah you know like how dare you condemn me for being my own person yeah and because
0: later in life he he um he was a supporter of Richard Nixon, and he tried to get black people to vote Republican.
1: And he took a lot of heat for that. A ton he of a heat. took a lot of heat. And, you know, disagree with him politically or not, that's his own thing.
0: Yeah, that's his opinion. That's, not...
1: that's his own views. And if you don't agree with him, then don't agree with him.
0: Yeah. That's the thing I don't like about athletes being like, oh, you're not going to protest? It's like, well, it's just the way I feel.
1: Yeah. How, like think what you want. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. And Wilt was very open about that. And he was, you know, this is me. This is what I think. Okay.
0: Yeah, very much um, open, I think, to his detriment.
1: Very much to his detriment. And that's where that rift with Kareem came. Yes. And Kareem didn't like the fact that he was Republican. Kareem didn't like the fact that he wanted people to make it on their own, individually as opposed to a block of people yeah, and one set of group think. He didn't like the fact that he was sleeping with white women. He didn't like a lot of things about Wilt and yeah. was very critical of him towards the end, much like Bill Russell, especially after when Wilt retired, he was a scoring leader. Guess who broke it and still holds it? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar.
0: Yeah. yeah. That era of centers didn't stop with Wilt. You know, it's one of those things where – he brought in this, this new era in NBA. But, the
1: torch was passed, yeah.
0: But still was hated for his he had a bunch of stuff through his career that he was kind of hated for. He he did an interview where he talked about being in a Bush league.
1: Yeah, and, he and, was sick of getting hacked and triple yeah, teamed and which
0: he's he wasn't incorrect with that. He was he would get hacked
1: so much. Well, like we talked about in the Magic Johnson episode, the NBA had no legitimacy really until Magic and Bird came. Yes. By the will retired the early 70s. By the end of the 70s, the NBA was dog shit. It was marred they, with violence and, and drugs. They were showing game, they were showing NBA finals games on tape delay. Yeah. Like the Bulls were being outsold by an indoor soccer team. He was not wrong. Yeah. It's just he was and this is what always made me feel bad throughout the research is he was an easy target and you know Anything you could nitpick on this guy, it was similar to Peyton Manning, not necessarily for the off-field or off-the-court stuff, but just like any little edge you could get on him and anything you could criticize, everyone went after Wilt. And you know what? To his credit, and that's what I liked so much about researching him, he never backed down, never said he was sorry. He just took it in stride. He took it in stride and said, I'm going to be Wilt Chamberlain.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna, I do I am enjoy who I that. am. Yeah. yeah. He pretty much just said, I'm going to be myself and not, and not change who I am with these pressure.
1: And, he, and you know what he never did? He never criticized these people back. No. He, yeah. never, he never sank to their level, never bought into all that stuff, never even really bought into the hype. He was just himself. Yeah. And something I really respect about the
0: guy. Yeah, me too. Uh, researching it, I never knew that he was so vilified. You know he, he
1: was vilified and like you said he's a gentle giant yeah he's not gonna he's not gonna be ugly in that way no and you know what he was a tremendous athlete nobody gives him credit like in Kansas he was a great shot putter mm-hmm. and an amazing high jumper winning uh, conference championships for that
0: I thought that was interesting he would never uh... He never tried a high jump, and he just could see it, and it was just like, "No, I could do that."
1: Yeah, you know. And then after his career, he was he's in the volleyball hall of fame in addition to the basketball hall of fame. He got beach volleyball off the ground. Yeah, like, he was
0: the. If you see beach volleyball in in the Olympics now, it's kind of because of Wilt because he was out there doing it at seven one. And he he dedicated so much
1: so much of his time and money, and he didn't have to be a rah rah guy about it to ch- different charities, particularly ones affecting people who are tall and things like that. Like he was,
0: he also did a bunch of work for uh, women's track. So yeah. women's track wasn't a thing back in the day, and he was like, well, "Why?" And he was a big proponent of getting that legitimized. Exactly, and. Yeah, there he was a very complex and
1: interesting person. Yes. Everyone just wanted to label him as always oh, this tall basketball guy who couldn't beat Bill Russell and it's like no, no there's, there's more so to much this more. story.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we'll get into that. Yeah. One last yes, we thing. Will. So, here's the statistic that he put out that he was a little bit bummed with and it always makes me think of that uh, Howard Stern movie private parts. So yep. what Will Chamberlain said is that he had intercourse I love you saying that. He had sex with over 20,000 women. And in private parts, Howard Stern's essentially saying this. Not They don't say Wilt Chamberlain, but they're like, he says you got to wear tight pants because women are into it. And Robin goes, if he had sex with 20,000 women, he wouldn't have time to put on pants. Right. <laughs> and it's just like that number is just so ridiculous. Well, apparently how it came about, for this
1: 1991 biography is one of his assistants had a day timer. So every time he brought a woman home, he would check off a box. A box. So he'd check off how many came. And it was, in one stretch, in 10 days, he slept with 23 women. So what Wilt did was take up all the days of his life and then subtract 15 years of it before probably losing his virginity. Yeah. And then cutting that uh, 2.3 number in half to be conservative and then multiplying, multiplying it. Yeah. And
0: that's how he got 20,000.
1: That was the other important number Dick Schaaf was referring to is yes. 20,000. And apparently at his Bel Air mansion, which he made specifically for a seven foot one, seven foot two guy next to his bed, he had a stoplight. It was just red and green. Green was love. Red was don't love. <laughs> <laughs> so great. But twenty, but he took a lot of heat for this yes. because it came out the same year that Magic Johnson s- admitted he had HIV.
0: Yes, it, it, it was a very big uh, basketball biography year, if you will. It, yeah. it, it's very interesting. I'll say this: uh, my personal experience. One of the only times I've ever really wanted to buy sports memorabilia. I don't know. If yes. You, oh, I love this. If you feel like this with sports memorabilia, after you buy it, you're like, why? Why do I have this? Right. That's just kind of yeah. uh, unless it's like seriously epic. And this was why I almost bought this. Was this uh, local store here in Tucson was selling Wilt Chamberlain's signed shorts, not his jersey, but his L.A. Lakers shorts signed. And I, all I wanted to do was buy, and it was expensive. Like for what it was, I think it was like four or five hundred dollars. Fucking foot long
1: dong in there that's, that's what i mean bedded down 20k come on now come on
0: i don't i don't necessarily care about the uh, jersey that he did a hook shot in i want the shorts <laughs> that he Did the deeds in
1: the deeds in yeah the uh, post game uh, post game
0: shorts if you will if you will it was just one of those times where I was like I actually want this I was like telling my wife she was like I don't get it and I was just like and I had to explain who Wilt was and she was like oh I I get it because she was like why would you want shorts no 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 you need the shorts yeah the shorts are the (laughs) That's what you want. You don't want the jersey. You want the
1: shorts. Of course you do. I yeah. mean, why wouldn't you want the shorts? I mean, and it's Wilt Chamberlain. It's not like
0: you're being like, oh, I want this bench player shorts. Nobody I wants those. No, and signed. So somebody had to take his shorts and be like, these are yours. Will you sign them? And he's like. God damn right, right, I'll sign him, baby. (laughs) God damn right. You know what? After we get you tonight, I'm gonna sign him. (laughs) The the I read about how he came up with that number. I thought that was one of the funnier things about Wilt Chamberlain.
1: Yeah, and he's an honest guy. I don't know if it's twenty thousand, but I mean, you're a seven foot one, good looking dude living in Bel Air.
0: You know, one of the most ridiculous quotes was, "It's easier for me to have sex with a thousand different women than have sex with one woman a thousand times."
1: Yeah, and that was kind of interesting the way that he said that because he was a bachelor his whole life. He never yes. got married. He never had kids. That wasn't that wasn't what he wanted to do. That and, wasn't Wilt Chamberlain, and he freely admitted it. He was like. No, I don't. I don't want that. I I focus on basketball, and now I'm focusing on my not basketball life. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to take away from a family or kids or anything like that. This is just who I am and what I want to do and who I want to do.
0: Which made him one of my favorite guys that we've researched.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It the honesty factor with yes. him was good. I loved it.
0: Like. Yeah, and I'm, all of his post career stuff, he did a bunch of great charitable charitable work. But he also did a bunch of like, he was in movies, he was in commercials. Conan the Destroyer, yes, yeah. Conan the Destroyer. It's just one of those things where he's in these iconic things from when I was growing up yep. that I never watched him play basketball live, but I watched him for my through my throughout my childhood.
1: Oh yeah, no, and I and I'm thinking like, what basketball player's shorts would you want? And I'm thinking, Wilt Chamberlain won, Michael Jordan's north carolina practice shorts too oh that's because it's mj and then uh, as a steve fisher fan um since i love the aztecs i would want one of the fab fives when he was coaching uh michigan yep because they were the first ones to make them not stocked in briefs <laughs> yes like they cared
0: they were they actually looked like the basketball shorts we see today
1: men need room that's all i'm saying as a man with giant balls we need room okay <laughs>
0: All right, here's a here's a question for you. Uh, there's a big uh, petition going around right now. I don't even know if I brought this up before, but they want to see Shaquille O'Neal's penis. What? Because they want to see how big it is. <laughs> oh, my God, So why? he was married to a woman that was normal size, six foot, six one, whatever, like for him. Yeah. Uh, they got divorced. He has a girlfriend now that is five one. And people are like, whoa, wait the, a second. The physics of that? The physics of it. So now people are like... Wait, how big is your penis? And now a petition became because they're like, we want to know. I feel like if he does it,
1: he should do it during one of those shitty General Car Insurance commercials. It's hey so General,
0: good. look at my dick. No, just like what time is it? He flips it over his wrist. <laughs> oh my god. There you go. Like the Nick Swordsin bit. The you Nick Swordsin bit. Yes,
1: exactly. Give <laughs> me my
0: watch. I love that. Oh man. No, but really? Pew. Yeah. A uh, huge petition out. Because, and it never was before, but with his new girlfriend, people are like, "Well, wait a second.
1: Oh my God. Our society just has its priorities in the worst possible places. Oh, I agree. I mean, I'm not saying if someone said, I have a picture of Shaq's dick, do you want to look at it? Everybody would look at it. Yeah. Like, but I'm not going to be like, sign a petition. (laughs) I'm not going to go out in march and be like, I want the genie from Kazam's dick out now. Like. (laughs) If someone says, if someone texts me, like a frat bro texts me and is like, dude, I got a picture of Shaq's dick. Do you want to see it? I'll be like, yeah, why not? Like,
0: How about, I got a picture of a dick, shaq foo."
1: <laughs> and then he sends it.
0: Oh my God. It can't be any worse than one of his rap albums. Oh yeah, that's true. But yeah. I mean, who knows? It's just one of those things in society where you're just like, really people? But again, if somebody sent it, I would be like, I want to see that dick. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean,
1: what, dude, what if he had a micropenis cell? Ugh, it'd be ridiculous, especially for him, that for his well, size. If if he's anything under like an average six and a half inches, it's gonna look small as shit. It would break the internet with people, like the amount of memes that would come out. Oh my god. Oh my god. But I'm assuming that will. Per- Wilt was packing some some major heat. That's though. what I wanted to say.
0: I feel like it's proportionate to their bodies, but like most I, of the time.
1: I remember when we were doing the the promos for the like when I was sending you those pictures, and there's just pictures of him with harems of women. Oh, so many! And by comparison they're so small and you're like he's going to break all of them yes (laughs) like you feel bad you kind of do but you're like hey if they're willing and consenting good for them yeah good good for you
0: yeah i can't deny the a willing and consent between two two adults (laughs) yeah right or in wilt's case four adults you know that's just the way he rolled i'm sure he did i'm sure it was
1: like Roman bathhouse at that place in Bel Air for a while for Will.
0: Well, there was one story this woman said, Hey, is it cool if I come by? He said, Oh, yeah. Hey, I've already had you. So if you have a friend, you can come by. (laughs) So pretty much like, I'm going to have sex with whoever you bring. I want this to be a buddy system thing. Exactly. (laughs) He had his own Eskimo system. Let me just say that. It was just all,
1: you know. How If, if it's 20,000, Wilt Chamberlain could be Eskimo brothers with like every man of the boomer generation.
0: Everybody in Philly and LA area. Let's just say that. Which is... But then again, he was traveling. This is a, one of those other yeah. things where these guys need to use condoms because they're like sailors port to port, man. <laughs> well, of course, they should just shoot those filthy beggars. <laughs> they move from port to port. <laughs> the only people that need to use condoms are professional athletes, sailors, and comics. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, and like the the whole thing with the um professional athlete thing too is like this is pre-aids and that's kind of why you got in trouble with the magic johnson thing is and the sexual revolution so it was all of that yeah it was just free love and goddamn being born in 1987 yeah like it's like if you touch a woman
0: you'll get it's like no
1: no i won't no i'm gonna take proper precautions (laughs) yes
0: exactly i'll wear my mask (laughs) yeah right all right. Thank you all very much. That's the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm Chris Quinn at C. Quinn Comedy. I'm Dom DiTola at DiTola Dominic. And make sure to follow us at the Sports Experience Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. And also give a big
1: shout out to Engel Studios um, or Engel Studio where we're recording. And a big thank you to Ty Engel. Thank you.